0: Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter.
1: Let me set the stage for our summer sermon series in the Psalms as you uh, have a chance to come Sunday by Sunday and hear myself and others preach from this passage. It'd be helpful, uh, particularly if you're newer to NPC, to understand that from 2014 onward generally uh, we've been studying the Psalms one by one, and uh, which is how it is that we've arrived at Psalm 88 this morning. Uh, now, we did take a summer off during the pandemic summer to look at different things, uh, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, and I do want to remind us, because it's been a moment, uh, that Psalm 1 really sets the stage for our study of the Psalter. So if you have a Bible and can just turn to Psalm 1, uh, pretty easy to find in about the middle of your Bible. Uh, we'll just look at verses 1 and 2, which set the tone for the whole series. Uh, The psalmist begins this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, So some years ago, uh, we saw that Psalm 1 is about happiness, really, blessedness. What is a happy life? what is a blessed life. And it's important to remember that because Psalm 1 really sets the agenda for the next 149 Psalms. Uh, To be blessed, to be happy uh, does not mean uh, mostly to be giddy or uh, temporarily amused, but genuinely happy to know the happiness of God, uh, to be fulfilled in life with Him. And throughout the Psalter, uh, we've seen that God through the Psalms teaches us uh, that we can pursue real happiness, that we can know blessing through the full gamut of human experience. That's one of the gifts of the Psalms, uh, is that uh, through... Uh, life's victories, through life's defeats, uh, through uh, moments of celebration, such as births, through moments of trial, such as death, uh, through moments where we feel spiritually strong, for moments when we feel spiritually weak, uh, God has a word for us to know that we are blessed. And I mentioned that uh, to set the stage for the summer, but also to set the stage for Psalm 88, because Psalm 88 is one of the least happy passages in Scripture. Uh, It is one of the most realistic, sober descriptions of spiritual despair in all of the Word of God. PCA pastor Jim Boyce, writing in an earlier generation, said of Psalm 88, it's good that we have a psalm like this, but it's also good that we have only one. (laughs) Uh, it reminds us that life is filled with trouble, even to the point of despair, even for mature believers, end quote. This is the terrible and wise beauty of Psalm 88. And I want you to think with me here. We're going to do a lot of thinking this morning. Uh, that God, out of love for His people and with a commitment to our eternal happiness, inspired and preserved for us a prayer that displays the soul of a believer despairing with his faith. That, that is what Psalm 88 is about. And there's no way around it. And we need Psalm 88 more than we realize. Some of us need Psalm 88 today. Because when we read in a moment about spiritual darkness, uh, this will be true to your experience right now. Now you're here, uh, you may even be smiling and happy on the outside, Uh, you know, monotonous sunshine, uh, as Chris said, has, you know, brought us a, a unique spring in Columbus. But on the inside, we're singing these songs and you wonder, how do I live by faith in God when it's actually God that I'm struggling with? And you're discouraged and you're depressed, and others of us might not be there, but we have been, or we may be, or we're walking alongside of a struggler. I suggest that the entire American church needs Psalm 88. Because we are all exposed to a version of spirituality, which I think is sub-Christian, which presents God as a benign dispenser of blessings, the good life, for people who try with sincerity to live good lives. Uh, it's, It's actually just another version of works righteousness warmed over. Uh, but, but here's how it goes. Usually, uh, the blessings of life are circumstantial, good health, meaningful employment, uh, material goodness. I try hard at work, at school, as a parent, and God blesses, new car, hashtag blessed. <laughs> and our souls are formed in a fast-paced, consumer-oriented society uh, so that we are often ill-prepared to face substantive adversity with faith. I don't know if this resonates with you or not. But pastors like me uh, can believe that it's our job to make God appealing to customers in the marketplace of uh, religion, and we hesitate to teach passages like Psalm 88 because it doesn't fit the trust God and life will get better narrative. But that's actually less than honest ministry. Not just because everybody knows that life is hard and that we just don't want to think about it, but it's less than honest because God actually talks openly about spiritual despair in the Bible. And and He gives us a roadmap for how to face spiritual despair faithfully, that, that there is a way to struggle with unbelief in belief, if you will. And you might say, well, that sounds paradoxical. That's Psalm 88. And he expects us to use it. And this makes the opening worship note for Psalm 88, which we'll come to, so curious. But if you have your Bible open, look at this. This is the header note uh, that they attach to the psalm. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalata Leonot, a masculine of Heman, the Ezraite, a song. That's a lot of crazy words in there to the choir master. But here's the thing. They didn't just expect Psalm 88 to be read. They expected it to be sung. Where? At church. It's a certain kind of song. It's a lament. Laments in Scripture are songs that express trust in the Lord in the face of struggle, suffering, disappointment. Uh, and and at, at some point in the history of God's people, they, they even wrote a note to their worship guy about what tune to play. You know, it's like, I, I know you're going to need to know what song to play when we get to Psalm 88, and so we're going to tell you uh, to, to break out good old Mahalatot Leonat, <laughs> which I, I'm sure was a bop. <laughs> as the young people say. <laughs> so, so they, it's as if God knew that his people were going to struggle from time to time. And, and he gave them a whole song to sing about it so that they could struggle faithfully because life is hard. And the spiritual life, the Christian life, does not always make sense. Here's the outline for the next period of time. Uh, I'll read the psalm. I want you to stay seated. I want you to hear the psalm. I want you to feel the psalm. Uh, If you want to close your eyes, only I will know uh, since I'm looking at you. It's not weird. Uh, But I I want you to catch the emotive impact of this psalm. And then uh, we will unpack it in three different ways. So here is Psalm 88, the word of the Lord. from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you, you. do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in darkness or your righteousness in the lands of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry it to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. the word of the Lord. Well, I think the first lesson from the psalmist that I took away was there is a way to despair godwardly. There is a way to despair godwardly. The last word of Psalm 88 uh, in the English translation is darkness. Uh, and it's right because that is the last word uh, in the original Hebrew of the psalm. The psalm ends With the word darkness. So if I was reading it and you were waiting for the happy resolution, uh, you are unfulfilled. Psalm 88 is a lament about spiritual despair that does not have a happy ending. Usually, the lament psalms in Scripture end with some kind of resolution. Uh, you know, this was hard, I prayed, you provided. This was hard, I, I, I prayed, and, you know, I'm growing. But in this particular psalm, it ends unresolved. Uh, and uh, poetically, the, the weight of the ending in darkness is to cause us to really understand the distress of the psalm writer. Let's review just a few of the points of distress. For my soul, verse 3, is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, to the land of death, to the grave. And this word full, the commentators say, it usually describes being satisfied with. Uh, if, if you're making the rounds of graduation parties uh, these days like we are, you go from party to party, and by the end of the day, you're sated, you're full. Uh, you, you've, had a lot of, you've had a lot of abundant and good uh, food. It's like a Thanksgiving belly full from feasting. Except that the psalmist says that, that he's not full of good things. He's full of troubles. He's had enough. Have you, have you been there? Have you been to the point where you've had so much challenge that you say, I I just can't take one more thing. And then one more thing happens. Well, God has a psalm just for you. Psalm 88. Our friend believes that he's near death. He's already written off. Uh, He's waiting to be buried. He looks at death and it looks like forgottenness. But it actually doesn't look much worse than being alive. Uh, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Now, we don't know exactly why. We don't know the circumstance uh, that he was facing. Verse 15 hints at a life of challenge, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Had he been chronically ill from childhood onward, had he been significantly injured At a young age, Uh, we can speculate, but what is fair is that whatever we might choose as our worst case scenario probably fits. Keep in mind that this is holy scripture, not only acknowledging, but getting right into our faith that life can be incredibly painful and hard and just seem not fair. So how would you counsel this guy? This guy calls you up on the phone and says, you know, uh, my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. How would you counsel him? Well, he's well beyond cliches. He does not want to hear. God will give you, he won't give you more than you will handle. He's on record. He's like, I can't handle it. I'm not handling it. He, he's well past what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. He, he's written a song that says, I'm dying. And, and he won't accept, you know, God's got to have a plan for this. Because as we'll see in the next section, that's exactly what he's worried about that God doesn't have a plan. He's worried that God is failing to keep his end of the plan. So if this guy calls you up, he doesn't want any cliches. It seems that some of his friends ran out of words, if not compassion. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. Now, we might not have a consoling word for him, but he has a word for us and the word is how he despairs. It's in the direction of his lament. Uh, The critical lesson for us when we feel like we are in this place is to despair godwardly. Look at verses 1 and 2. "'O Lord, God of my salvation.'" I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. O Lord, God of my salvation. Lord, if, if you're looking at your English Bible, you probably see that it's in that all caps form that indicates that this is the personal name of the covenant God, Yahweh, Jehovah. Four times in this psalm, our friend invokes the personal name of the God who makes and keeps covenant. Verse nine, every day I call upon you, Yahweh. I spread out my hands to you. But I, O Yahweh, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Oh Jehovah, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? These are the cries of a faithful man. These are the cries of, Of a man who is God directed, and he's taking his despair and he's pointing it towards God. He's doing the opposite of what we so often read about in the story of God's people in Scripture, which is to grumble. He's doing the opposite of grumbling, he's praying. This is a mark of genuine faith to keep praying to keep crying, to keep trusting that the God who does not seem to be answering is sovereign over the answering or the not answering. And if we're honest, it's very challenging to read how often the psalmist uses the word you. You have put. Your wrath lies. You have caused you have made. Why do you cast my soul away? Listen, friends, this is a mystery. But it's a mystery that challenges the soft suburban theology that says, if I try to do sincerely, God will bless me unconditionally. That God is the benign dispenser of the good life for people who try to live good lives. This is a mystery that the covenant God of sovereign power who controls the destiny of the universe and every individual therein has at least permitted these challenges and has not reversed them. The psalmist prays his why questions, which are not neatly answered in this psalm, but he prays them directly to God without the need to defend God, without the need to spin bad theology. It's believing despair. It's the opposite of blind unbelief. William Cooper friend of John Newton. John Newton wrote uh, Amazing Grace. He was an influential pastor in his day. Uh, We sing some of his hymns. We sing some of William Cooper's hymns. Uh, Cooper struggled mightily with depression his entire life. He attempted suicide at least one time and, uh, and struggled with exactly what Psalm 88 is about. How do you live as a believer when life seems despairing. And he wrote in one of his hymns entitled, God Moves in Mysterious Ways, he, he wrote against the danger of kind of blind unbelief. He says, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So we despair Godwardly, when we're in that place. Secondly, we despair covenantally. Now, this is where I need to ask you to do some thinking with me. Verses 10, 11, 12, when I read them, you, you might have thought those sound like rhetorical questions. And they actually are rhetorical questions. Six rhetorical questions, all, to, uh, all prayed to Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant. The questions expect a no answer. Do you work wonders for the dead? No. Do the departed rise up to praise you? No. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? No. Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? No. Are your wonders known in the darkness? No. Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? No. What is he doing here? Well, our friend is pleading with God to act before he dies, I was greatly helped by one pastor's comment, and I need us to get this right, I think, because there is actually an ocean of hope here if you think it through. Here is the comment The reason it's necessary for God to act before death for this psalmist comes in rooted in the earthly nature of the blessings of the covenant, Deuteronomy 28 etc. The blessings of the covenant are a demonstration of God's favor and are manifested in a tangible way in the life of Israel. End quote. His questions don't mean, for example, and think with me here, his questions don't mean that he doesn't believe in life after death. His questions are based on the covenant promises that he knew at the time in history in which he lived, and the covenant promises that he knew at the time in history in which we, in which he lived, were such that the Lord promised to bless in visible ways his obedient people. We can't read all of Deuteronomy twenty-eight, but here's just one representative section. And all of the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, end quote. Uh, but what he is doing here is saying, look, you promised to bless your people tangibly for their obedience. Uh, and, and so far as we know in this psalm, uh, he is an obedient man. He's a, a worship leader in Israel. I mean, if he weren't an obedient man, they probably wouldn't have picked up the psalm. They would have said, you know, he in He was a loser. Get this out of here. But they didn't do that. And so you understand what he's doing. He's saying it's entirely appropriate for him to plead with God covenantally, to pray to God on the basis of the covenant reality that he understood in his day. And by doing so, what he's actually doing is he's actually taking his Bible seriously. He's saying, God God spoke these promises. I'm holding him to these promises. So what is the critical application for us when we can't handle one more thing? And then one more thing happens or when our prayers seem to go no higher than the ceiling or when your friend calls and says, don't worry, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And you click the phone. Well, we don't really do that anymore. We don't really have phones that click. You just go <laughs> beep and you accidentally like start a group meeting and you FaceTime. And then it gets really awkward. You can't even hang up in anger anymore. <laughs> Hear me out. For Christians, for Christians, This means we will voice our spiritual despair most accurately, not in light of the old covenant, but in light of the new covenant. Of which the Lord Jesus is the mediator, having offered himself as the sacrifice. So that John Calvin in the 16th century can equate the pain of our psalmist to the unutterable groanings known only to the Spirit described in Romans 8 and 26, where Paul writes, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Calvin says, "Our, our guy is in this place. But I'd like to suggest to us that some short verses later, Paul on the basis of what Christ has achieved for the church in the new covenant, tells us how to despair covenantally when we cannot articulate our prayers. That we don't need to despair of God's posture towards us. What then shall we say to these things, Paul writes? If God is for us, who can be against us? that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Some, many, possibly all Christians will have moments of real despair. The psalmist teaches us to come before God and voice the full extent of our despair on the basis of the fullness of what God has revealed to us. And the fullness of what God has revealed to us is now at this point in history located in the achievement of Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension. So now we can pray our despair and we can say, I'm praying this, but nothing will separate me from the love of God in Christ. So we pray on that basis. We despair covenantally, which, uh, which gives us hope. Because thirdly, what we will do if we do this is we will despair Golgothically. Like, well, there's an interesting word. I'm actually inventing that word. <laughs> if it trends, you can say that you were there. <laughs> despair Golgothically. So I'm inventing the word Golgothically to refer to where Jesus was executed. And I think in our moments of despair, we despair Golgothically because it's Jesus who experienced the full weight of Psalm 88 so that his people won't have to experience the full weight of Psalm 88. I I have one uh, commentary in my home library that is uh, about the the ancient church's use of the Psalms. Uh, A guy in the 19th century traveled around uh, the, the ancient world, and collected worship traditions from the ancient church. And uh, what's remarkable is in reading through how the ancient church read Psalm 88, they all said, this is about Jesus. Uh, the, Psalm 88 is about Jesus. When in advance of the cross, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. His father's answer was to not let the cup pass, but to strengthen Jesus for it. If you were to go back and read Psalm 88, the next time that you do, if you put Jesus into the voice of the psalmist, you will have a remarkable experience of feeling the weight of what Jesus encountered Golgothically. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. You've put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Your wrath has swept over me. The psalmist describes God's wrath as a flood. You know how water works. Water seeks the lowest place. Water completely fills from the bottom up. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Despairing Golgothically means that in our darkest place, we know that God's judgment of sin flowed like Noah's flood to the deepest places in Jesus' soul to atone for our sin, for what lies in the deepest places in our hearts. And when Jesus said it is finished, the flood was over. When Jesus said it was finished, the waters receded. And what this means, loved ones, for believers, is that none of us ever need to fear the kind of despair that Jesus experienced. No person need ever dread the kind of abandonment described in Psalm 88. Any man or woman who takes Christ as Savior takes for himself or herself the Savior who experienced all of this himself for us. So God is far more than the benign dispenser of blessings for people who try to live good lives. God is the Father who offers the Son, and the Son who offers Himself, and the Spirit who applies redemption for people who can't live good lives, for people who deserve to be abandoned, but who will never be abandoned. So let me ask you have you taken Jesus as your Savior? In, in your moments of emotional, psychological, spiritually, spiritual extremity? Have you the courage to despair godwardly? Have you the courage to despair covenantally? Have you the faith to despair Golgothically? And say, he was flooded by judgment for me. God's wrath washed over him so that as low as I am, I'll never go as low as he did. He'll always be beneath me. He'll always be around me. By his spirit, he'll be in me. And from the right hand of God, he'll be for me. If you haven't, why wouldn't you? What would keep you from that? Well, in my old book, I have a prayer written by Dionysus the Cartusian, who I I know that you know. (laughs) Many of your graduation cards have quotes from Dionysus the Cartusian on them, but he uh, was writing some centuries earlier. And this is how he prayed. And this will be our closing prayer Yahweh, God of our salvation, graciously have mercy upon us. And by the abundance of thy propitiation, call back our soul, which is full of troubles, and our life, which through sin draws nigh unto hell. Put us far from all sorrow now and forevermore, that through thy bountiful mercy we may evermore pay thee our debt of praise.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast, and for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.